There is nothing he's going to be able to do to change the fact that popularly he is now in perpetuity a rapist. Even if he wins a trial, he's a rapist. He has been convicted without a trial in the court of public opinion, and there is nothing you can do about it. I can't ever imagine a situation where the prosecution just punted to the civil team and said, well, we won't go criminal as long as you go civil. That's, a, that's an unusual situation, at least from, from what my experience has been. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Gloucester, Massachusetts. Uh, I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is in court today and not able to be with us. Before we introduce today's topic, I'd like to just take a moment to thank our sponsor, Clio, the online practice management platform for lawyers. You can find out more about Clio at www.goclio.com. Well, when many of us think of, uh, well, until, until recently anyway, when many of us think of actor and comedian Bill Cosby, we thought of the jovial dad, Cliff Huxtable from The Cosby Show. But over the past year, at least 58 women have come forward alleging that Bill Cosby had drugged and sexually assaulted them at different times at different locations. Amidst a multitude of allegations from these women over the years, now Bill Cosby is facing criminal charges in Philadelphia for allegedly drugging and sexually assaulting a former Temple University staffer there, Andrea Constand, in 2004. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at some of the legal issues surrounding the prosecution of Bill Cosby. We're going to discuss uh, the allegations, his arrest, and uh, the uh, charges of sexual assault against him, and the impact uh, on on, uh, his public image and what the future may hold for Bill Cosby. Joining us today to do this are two guests, both criminal defense attorneys. First off, let me introduce attorney Scott Greenfield. Scott is a criminal defense attorney out of New York, For more than 30 years, he's represented clients charged with crimes or the targets of investigations in state and federal courts across the United States. Scott is also well-known as the author of the Simple Justice blog, a criminal defense blog, which can be found at blog.simplejustice.us. Thanks a lot for joining us, Scott. Always a pleasure, Bob. And also joining us today is Murray Newman from Houston, Texas. Uh, Murray is a graduate of the University of Houston Law Center, where he graduated in 1999. Since then, he's been in criminal law, both as a prosecutor and as a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, He's handled criminal cases ranging from driving while intoxicated cases to capital murder. He served as an assistant district attorney until 2008 uh, in the Harris County District Attorney's Office as a felony chief prosecutor. Uh, In private practice since then, he continues to represent clients charged with criminal offenses in the state of Texas. In addition, Murray works as a legal consultant for the TNT television show, Cold Justice, and author of the well-known blog, Life at the Harris County Criminal Justice Center, which can be found at harriscountycriminaljustice.blogspot.com. Welcome to the show, Murray Newman. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Glad to, glad to have you. So, uh, Scott Greenfield, let me uh, start with you. You uh, wrote recently on your blog about 
this case that no matter what happens in the case, Cosby has already been convicted by the court of public opinion and there is no appeal. Is it possible for him to get a fair trial in this case? Well, I, I, it's possible to get a fair trial. And in fact, it, uh, from, from pending motions, he may not go to trial at all. Uh, but that's not going to change the fact that everybody uh, who doesn't look at this through a lawyer's eyes is saying, how can 58 women be wrong? How can they all be lying? He must have done this. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's nothing he's going to be able to do to change the fact that popularly he is now in perpetuity a rapist. Even if he wins a trial, he's a rapist. He has been uh, convicted without a trial in the court of public opinion, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, Murray, how about you? What do you? What's your view on that question of whether he can actually even get a fair trial here? Well, it's always a dicey thing when you have this much media across the nation because typically if you're trying to find a, a fair trial, you're trying to find a location where somebody hasn't heard enough facts to prejudice them. Uh, when you have somebody as famous as Bill Cosby is and, and, and as big of a story as this has been, it's certainly a, a difficult one. I, I agree with Scott that regardless whether or not he can find 12 neutral jurors uh, to judge his case in a court of law, um, he, he has pretty much been ruined uh, from a reputation standpoint. To, to add to that, I, just, I believe he's already had his honorary degrees withdrawn from 20 different universities at this point. Nobody wants to wait until somebody finds Bill Cosby guilty of anything. They are rats leaving that sinking ship as fast as they can. And frankly, that, that's the message. It doesn't matter uh, whether he's convicted or not convicted. He is not going to ever be able to recapture whatever life he had before these allegations were so prominently made public. He was, in fact, the commencement speaker at my son's graduation from college just a few years ago from the University of San Francisco, and uh, that that is among the uh, honorary degrees that has been revoked. Uh, Scott, you mentioned that he may not even go to trial, and I, I assume you're alluding to the news today, uh, or the motion, I guess, that was filed, indicating that the, the district attorney, the prior district attorney, Bruce Castor, uh, who was just recently... Uh, lost an election uh, and, and was replaced by Kevin Steele, and Kevin Steele is the one who, who brought these charges. But, but Cosby's attorneys are saying that basically Cosby had a deal with his prior district attorney um, that, uh, would, that there would be no criminal prosecution. Well, that, that's what it sounds like, and it makes perfect sense. Apparently, Castor thought that this, if anything was to come of this, it would come of it through a civil suit. And Cosby, in order to be uh, deposed as a party to a suit, would have to waive his Fifth Amendment right. And the only way you waive your Fifth Amendment right is if you're not going to get prosecuted. And so Castor made a deal saying, I won't prosecute you, so therefore you have no Fifth Amendment right. Take the deposition and pursue the suit. And that's what happened uh, back in 2005 and six. Yeah, I'm not sure what remedy he's going to get from that, whether it's going to be dismissal, whether it's going to be a recusal of the prosecution. Um, but if that's how he was induced to waive his Fifth Amendment rights to uh, be deposed, then that may be a significant block to any prosecution in this case. 
Well, they, they filed a petition for writ of habeas corpus and motion to disqualify the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office. Had that had that happened, now I don't, I don't do criminal law at all, so you can fill me in on this, but had that happened, had there been an agreement, would that typically just be a verbal agreement or would there be something in writing? Well, I would expect that there is something in writing, frankly. I, I would be kind of surprised if Cosby's defense lawyers didn't require that because uh, as a practical matter, we're not the kind of people that trust a handshake very much. Uh, particularly when our client's freedom is at stake. So I would expect that there's something that memorializes this, whether it's on the record, whether it's a writing, but that there will be something to show that this, in fact, happened. Yeah, they, they didn't put any, they didn't attach anything to the pleadings they filed yesterday. Uh, they did say that, that uh, Mr. Castor, the former DA, is willing and ready to testify on this, but uh, nothing, uh, nothing produced. Now that that's quite a uh, surprising uh, tactic on the part of his attorneys who represented him at the time, but uh, I guess today they've got to go with whatever had happened. And as Castor's testimony or, or affidavit to the effect that this was, in fact, the deal that he induced him to uh, waive Fifth Amendment privilege, um, that would be uh, sufficient to uh, make their case. Murray, you're a former prosecutor, you know, and, and here we have a case where, again, the, 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 the former prosecutor here declined to, uh, to prosecute after investigating this, uh, concluding that there wasn't enough evidence to take this on. Now this new, new district attorney has come in saying, you know, essentially that there is new evidence based on all these women who have come forward. As a former prosecutor yourself, what's what's your take on that? Are these allegations from these women sufficient new evidence to revive these criminal charges? Well, I think that I think that the short answer to that is yes, but I don't even know that there has to be uh, new evidence. The the fact that the new the new elected DA is is saying that there is new evidence seems more like his his justification on why he's doing it now. Uh, so it's so that he can kind of deflect the accusations that he's doing it just for publicity. Um, I think that as long as the statute of limitations is still open uh, and they can file it, they can they can do it now. You can have a difference of opinion in in a, from a previous administration that could be sufficient. Um, I I think that the the more likely remedy on on these depositions is that. If there was some sort of nod and a wink type deal that they wouldn't prosecute him if he testified uh, under in the deposition, it would be to exclude whatever came from those depositions. I think that's probably the more the more likely remedy that that Scott uh, is talking about. Because I just I can't ever imagine a situation, or at least I never personally saw one, where the prosecution just punted to the civil team and said, well, we won't go criminal as long as you go civil. That's an, that's an unusual situation, at least from, from what my experience has been. What about, what do you think about the evidence in this case? I mean, it, except, except for the fact of, of these women coming forward, the, the evidence of, of what happened in this specific incident really comes down to a he said, she said kind of situation, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, and most of these type of cases uh, do. I mean, we, we typically refer to these as, as date rape type cases because in, knowing that that's a pretty broad 
broad term, but it's not a stranger on stranger case. And and um, in almost all of those cases, it comes down to a he said, she said. If the if no one is disputing that the sexual intercourse occurred, it all comes down to consent. And so someone's going to say, "Hey, there was one, there was consent," and the other party's going to say there wasn't. So by definition, it's he said, she said. Yeah, there's no forensic evidence uh, at this point. Uh, Scott, what about you? What's your take on, on the evidence uh, in, in this case or, or, or the lack thereof? I mean, to what extent can these statements from all these other women become uh, an issue uh, in this trial, if this goes to trial? Now, that's a very interesting point. Um, in this particular case, this constant claim is probably the strongest of any of the allegations that have been raised because she came forward uh, soon afterward to allege that, that this was a rape. Uh, in, in many of these instances, I think one in L.A., it was 50 years later, uh, people waited and, uh, and only came forward after uh, this had hit the media. Now, that would make her position a little better. As far as bringing in all these other people, you've got two problems. One would be uh, that it would suggest a propensity, which is evidence that you're not allowed to introduce to show that because a guy may have done a lot of other crimes, he had a propensity to commit this crime, and therefore he committed the crime he's on trial for. On the other hand, if a judge accepts the premise that this was his modus operandi, this was, this was a common scheme and plan that he used in order to get women uh, intoxicated to to rape them, then other women's allegations may very well come in to prove that this was a method that he used over and over again. Now, if that happens, uh, you still get the, the problems of propensity. It's a hugely prejudicial issue. Uh, and I'll tell you, that's a very damning thing. And does that mean they march all of these women through the courtroom and have all of them come in and testify? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they would uh, handpick a few because uh, already we're finding that uh, a number of these women's allegations are not bearing out. Um, but I'm sure that there will be others who uh, present better witnesses or a stronger case. I don't know how many the prosecution might pick, but uh, a few of them marching through, that would be... Uh, that would be likely if they're allowed to introduce that evidence. So what is the, what is the defense uh, in this case, uh, put it to, to both of you, Scott and Murray's defense attorneys, what, what would, if you were Bill Cosby's attorney right now, what would you be looking at uh, as a defense strategy? Um, if I were... Go for it, Murray. <laughs> What's that? Go, he said Murray, go for it. Go for it, Murray. All right, I'll tell you what I would do, and then Scott could tell you the right way to do it. <laughs> That's good. If I'm his defense attorney, what I would be doing right now is struggling to try to keep your eyes on strictly the case there in Pennsylvania and doing everything I could to exclude anything that would, would mention any of the extraneous cases. Because if you look, at least on what I've read in the media about that case, if you attack it just as a single case, you have a lot more to work with, specifically uh, the fact that um, that your complainant in the case ultimately ended up maintaining a, a friendly relationship with Cosby. That, that would certainly be something that would be off-putting to a jury as long as they didn't hear that, that right behind it uh, were 50-some-odd other complainants. 
So that that's kind of what you would at least hope to be able to do. Now, whether or not you, a judge would let you do that's another story. Scott, how about you? I, th- I think Murray's exactly right. And uh, the point about uh, the, the friendly relationship that uh, Andrea Constant kept is, is also a similar theme that you're going to find with uh, most of the women who have made allegations that after they, their alleged rape happened, they either continued to have sex with Bill Cosby anyway, they continued to live in his house, be friends with him, and have a, an ongoing social relationship. Many of them went back to him to help them out with their lives, with finances, with jobs. So you have a very peculiar situation throughout all of this in that women who are now claiming they were raped afterwards are, are hanging out with their alleged rapist. And people have a tough time understanding how that could possibly happen. Um, people don't hang out and befriend their rapist. People don't engage in continued sex with their rapist. That's not how rape victims are supposed to behave. Um, so I, I think that's really where the push needs to be, that this proves it was consensual because only consensual uh, sexual partners continue to have sex and continue to befriend and continue uh, to enjoy the social company of that person. All right, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we're going to be right back uh, with more conversation about uh, the criminal charges against Bill Cosby. Stay with us. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No. With most cloud computing providers, moving your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And even if you have an existing legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. This is Bob Ambrogi. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, uh, is away today. We're talking about the criminal charges filed against Bill Cosby with our guests, criminal defense attorneys Scott Greenfield out of New York and Marie Newman out of Houston, Texas. Um, and we were just talking about the uh, defense strategy in the case, uh, what, are, what are the challenges to the prosecution in this case? Uh, Marie, you're a former prosecutor. What, 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 are the, what does the prosecution have to do here? Well, the first thing they've got to do is be able to explain that this is not just about celebrity. Um, I've talked to, to people in the past, and the thing about trying a celebrity is that is that general society thinks mistakenly that they're friends with that person. Uh, they think that they know Bill Cosby. They think that, they're, that, they, that they grew up with Bill Cosby. I know I, I grew up watching Bill Cosby. I'm sure Scott's children did too. And 
and you Ouch. have Ouch. You, you have this. I mean, you have this feeling of familiarity and generally liking him. Um, so you have to worry about that. You have to be very cognizant of the fact that you know that the defense is going to um, attack your victims uh, as saying that they just want money or they want or they want uh, attention and fame, and that that's going to be. That's going to be a big trick to try to offset. Picking a jury is also going to be near impossible for a prosecutor because who hadn't heard of this case. Is that a challenge for the prosecutor or the defense or both? Both, because ultimately the prosecution is the one that, that wants, the, wants the jury picked and tried. The, the defense is happy to have busted panel after busted panel of, of people where they can't get a, a jury because they hope ultimately the prosecution is going to say, oh, to hell with it, and, uh, and either offer them something, a uh, plea bargain that they can take, or just say we can't get a fair trial and give up on it. Scott, you want to play prosecutor for a second? Uh, do you want to- Actually, yeah, I do. But one thing, <laughs> I, I, this, this is not a case that's going to plead. There's no way in the world that Bill Cosby is going to plead to anything in this case. If it pr- proceeds to trial, this one's getting tried to verdict. Um, but, yeah, as, as far as the prosecution is concerned, they've got one ace in the hole that I don't think is, is uh, appreciated. Most of these allegations, including I believe they go back to 65, are being viewed through a lens of a phenomenon called presentism, which is where you take conduct that happened at a different time under a different social norm and you view it through the prism of current social norms. And right now we're in a very peculiar time in society uh, where we've suddenly discovered this concept of sexual consent called yes means yes which did not exist a couple of years ago and was about as far removed from social reality as humanly possible back in the 70s and, the, and, and 60s. So they've basically got as toxic an environment as humanly possible to view uh, Cosby's conduct with constant, with any other witness who may come forward and be allowed to testify about him, if they're looking at it through the way uh, rape is viewed today, where an, an overt uh, agreement, approval, a, a verbal approval, some sort of affirmative enthusiastic consent must be given or it's deemed to be rape. So he's in a peculiar position because if Cosby was to testify truthfully as to we drank, we did some drugs, we had sex, did she? Did you ever ask for permission? No. Did you know she was drinking? Yeah. Did you know she had drugs? Well, yeah, I gave them to her. In today's mind, that's pretty much the definition of rape, but that was not the case at the time. And he's now going to suffer the definition of consent at, and in 2016 for conduct that happened in 2005 when that was not the way rape was viewed. That's an interesting point. And, and that even extends a little bit to the drug of choice here that he used with Andrea Constant, which is Quaaludes, which I think, I, I don't know, from, from what I know, it, it, was, it, it was a more common drug uh, maybe a generation ago, I think, than, than Quaaludes are now. 
uh, and were more widely used. Well, not not to yeah, not not to not to be too much of a quaalude expert here, but uh, quaaludes were a fairly common drug used amongst young people, and uh, it was not like roofies are today, where they're the, the date rape drug the drug that was used to in, incapacitate a woman. People willingly, happily did quaaludes. It was simply one of those drugs of choice, and it would be considered downright rude for a guy with a girl not to offer her quaaludes. I mean, if you had drugs, you shared them. That was just the way the norm went at the time. And today, quaaludes seem very ominous and terrible, but uh, that wasn't always the case. And and there was a time when, uh, you know, refusing to share your quaaludes with with a woman would have been considered downright offensive. Uh, It's just not the way it is. And I and I forget what the uh, what the uh, allegations were here. It, 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 my understanding is that uh, that he offered her these pills, but but I, my understanding is he had described them as Benadryl or something like that, not as Quaaludes. But she did take them and and uh, and use them. Um, and uh, you know, his a lot of this. Uh, what what brought a lot of these accusations out, of course, was the. Uh, uh, the, the making public of, of his deposition testimony from this case, which was made public last summer. And, uh, you know, in that deposition, he shows a pretty, uh, I don't know, lo- you know, loose attitude toward all of this. Uh, I mean, he doesn't see himself as, as a criminal, but uh, it, it, uh, he's, he's certainly, he's, he's almost, he almost sounds like he's proud of a lot of what he was doing. It, is that does that deposition evidence come into uh, evidence? I mean, does the de- deposition testimony come into evidence in this trial? I would think not. Uh, based on if, if they could show that agreement that he basically, uh, I think you could make the argument that it wasn't voluntary if he thought if if he thought he was giving it in exchange for the case not being prosecuted. I think you could you could exclude it on those grounds, perhaps. Scott, you agree with that? You see it that way? Well, I, I would think so, and I think if uh, that would be at the minimum that I would expect if uh, there was an agreement for him to waive his Fifth Amendment rights and give that deposition. Um, what's interesting, Bob, is that you talked about his his rather casual attitude towards this whole thing. Um, another presentism phenomenon that's at play here is that Bill Cosby is an older fellow and, and, and was reared uh, in a time when men were expected, I guess would be the right word, to seduce women, to do whatever they could in order to get a woman in bed. And uh, it's not, I'm not suggesting that they would give them drugs to incapacitate them. That That is an entirely different animal, but the idea that uh, they didn't go and ask permission and say, Mommy, may I, uh, is hardly a, a surprise. And in fact, the law up until very recently was that uh, all sorts of deceit and deception and, and lies and manipulation uh, are basically fair game uh, for a guy who wanted to get a, a woman in bed. 
Does that fly with a jury when we're talking about a guy who would have been in his 60s, a married man in his 60s at the point that this incident happened? I'll tell you, I'd, I'd want to pick an older juror, jury, and uh, if I got an older jury in there, they'd be saying, go, guy, you still go. Go for it. Both because they don't see... They don't see any problem with the idea of a guy trying to get a, a girl to have sex with him. And guy in his sixties, uh, <laughs> there's an element, uh, of, of acquiescence to the fact that, uh, he's still interested in sex at all. That's another interesting jury selection concern. Yeah. But of course, part of her point was why in the world would I be interested in sex with him when he was 30 something years, my senior, you know, there's an easy answer to that. He was a world-famous, fabulously wealthy celebrity, and she wasn't. Yeah. Do you want to, uh, anybody want to uh, predict, the, predict the future on this? Uh, if, the, if this goes to trial, uh, anybody want to take a guess as to how it turns out? Uh, you know, I, I think actually that it's, I think it's a toss-up case because as many pros as you have with the, all the, the different people that have come out of the woodwork claiming that they've been assaulted by Bill Cosby, you can also make the argument that it was a bandwagon that they could jump on, and um, that can cut both ways. There, there are a lot of elements in this case that cut both ways, um, including civil lawsuits and the number of, of people that have come forward. Um, I think it's actually fair game, except, as Scott mentioned, he's already lost in the court of public opinion. Scott, how about you? Yeah, I think uh, I think Murray's right. There's, as far as the trial is concerned, there's a lot of variables still to be uh, figured out. Um, whether or not they're going to allow other women to testify against him, whether or not uh, he's going to prevail on this motion for uh, uh, and to recuse the prosecution. I, there's an awful lot of open questions on this case, but the one thing I feel pretty confident about is that Bill Cosby is going to go to trial if he has to. And if he has to, he's going to fight. And it's going to make for one really messy uh, trial. All right. Well, we are just about at the end of our time. And before we wrap up for the show, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to kind of give your your, your closing thoughts. Maybe you just kind of did. But if you have some further thoughts uh, on this, uh, welcome you to do that. And also let our listeners know how they can uh, follow up with you and find out more about your work. So, uh Scott Greenfield, let's start with you. Well, I'd like to thank you for having us and uh, happy to uh, have this chat, especially with somebody who I, I respect as much as Murray. He's a, he was a brilliant prosecutor. He's a brilliant defense lawyer. And uh, I'm just thrilled to, to know that he uh, doesn't call me old in every sentence. Um, <laughs> for, anybody, for anybody who wants to... Uh, read any more of the stuff. I, I'm also writing at uh, Fault Lines, uh, and Murray is uh, our resident prosecution expert uh, at Fault Lines, and uh, really would love to have everybody come and read, take a look. We try to present all points of view. We try to give everybody uh, as honest a sense of the criminal justice system as humanly possible. And I hope you all come over and take a look, and I, I hope you find uh, what we write to be worth your time. And thank you, Bob. Yeah, thanks, Scott. And, and where I saw that you recently, you, Scott Greenfield, recently had an interview with Marie uh, posted there at Fault Line. So uh, there you go. You can go and 
see the hear the read the two of you uh, having an interview with each other. Okay, Murray, uh, Murray, your final thoughts. Well, first of all, I think uh, Scott's missing out by mentioning his own blog, Simple Justice. If you really want to read some of the most insightful writing on criminal law, you should go check out his blog there. Um, I, I did write on my hand, don't call Scott old so much so I would remember. Um, but um, I, I'm <laughs> but you honest, forgot to look at your hand. I, I only did it once. I'll make one. <laughs> um, but um, Scott is, is someone I'm honored to have as a friend and as someone uh, – that uh, that I get to work with at, at Fault Lines. It's a great collection of some fantastic uh, criminal law writers around the country. Um, I think this Cosby case has the potential to get as much attention almost as, as OJ did in the 90s uh, because it, it really is changing the dynamic of how you looked at, one, at a person one way before allegations came and how you look at them now. It could really change a, a big dynamic. Um, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. If anybody wants to contact me on Twitter, it's at Murray Newman. And um, thank you for having me on the show. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Bob Ambrogi. Thanks a lot to Scott Greenfield and Murray Newman for taking the time to be with us today and to share their thoughts and insights on the Bill Cosby prosecution. To all of our listeners, thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think Lawyer to Lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.